Rauranga tira mā, nau mai ki te pai o te wao nui Nau mai haere mai tēnā koutou katoa Ko Jamie Tahana Ahau You're listening to Te Wao Nui A rap of the week's Māori news here on RNZ National This week, Taira Fiti takes its forestry concerns to the UN Does it plan to change Russell back to Kororareka Had the support needed And a new approach for Te Taiao But first... A Māori paediatrician is warning of a looming child health emergency, with immunisation rates falling to some of their lowest ever levels. Three babies have died of whooping cough this year, and several isolated cases of measles have been reported. This comes as childhood immunisation rates have fallen to critical levels, with just 45.9% of six-month-old Māori pipi fully immunised. Dr Owen Sinclair says New Zealand has never had equitable vaccine coverage, but the latest figures are alarming. I asked him how we found ourselves here. I think that the New Zealand Immunisation Programme has never ever taken its responsibilities under T-Treaty, under t- particularly Article 3, seriously. These inequities have been there ever since we started recording them in 2009. And no one's ever really put in a plan that's understood the systems behind why we have inequities in immunisation. And so uh, the truth is is that the system is, is designed, if you look at those tables again, for wealthy people who have access to, um, to stable housing, stable communication, don't live in any distress. And that doesn't describe large numbers of, of Māori in New Zealand. So the system just doesn't work for Māori and the system has never adjusted and has never actually, up until very recently, tried um, actually to take those figures into account and to give um, Māori tamariki the protection, that immunisation that they deserve. And, and they've just ignored all of the obligations to address equity under to treaty. It's just never happened. I'm thinking back to that, that measles outbreak and was it 2018, 2019 and largely affected the Pacifica community but a lot of the underlying you know, symptoms are similar there and it, it was a really case of having to catch up, wasn't it? So are, are we finding ourselves in that position again where you know that underlying issue has been ignored, overlooked and not addressed and now we're finding ourselves on the precipice We've already had three whooping cough cases this year, haven't we? So. Yeah, we had, and two, two of them, unfortunately, were Māori and one was Pacific. I think the chickens are coming home to roost, to use an analogy in that. Um, ignoring the inequities, ignoring the low immunisation rates, um, and having these things present um, uh, in our society, it was always going um, to create a hard landing at some stage. And, and again, we saw it in Samoa. And, and we're looking down the barrel of that. I think if measles arrived in Aotearoa today, it would cause a bonfire of an epidemic. And, and other figures that, just to illustrate how much Māori have fallen through the gaps, is that 124,000 Māori who live in the North Island, and that's all Māori, um, have never had any immunisation for measles of any description at all. And it's just, it's just going to be a nightmare if it happens. It's just going to be, um, going to be awful. So what is needed? We saw the, um, you know, the release of resources to Māori providers to try and build relationships and stuff. Is there a chance to capitalise? Yeah, I think that, I think we, you allude to the COVID um, outbreak and the things that were done. So the, the things that people did, that, that people were quite willing to do in the COVID outbreak, needs to happen in the, in the uh, childhood immunisation system. So what happened was, as you say quite rightly, 
um, vast amounts of resources were transferred to to providers who had links to at-risk communities, and that was both Pacific and Māori. There was a significant broadening of the people that could provide immunisations, and the numbers expanded greatly. There was a, a significant expansion into where the places that immunisations could occur. And at the moment, it's actually, for the vast majority of Tamariki and Aotearoa, there's actually only very small choices about where you can take your six-week-old pepe. And generally, that's general practice. And unfortunately, for a large number of reasons, uh, general practice is a very hard place for Māori to access, not the least of which is trust. So having having um, multiple other places where Māori could take their babies to be immunised um, and do all those sorts of things. And one of the issues, one of the places, one of the ways that Pacific providers have actually produced such high rates of immunisation is they don't just when when they come across a Pacific whanau or a, a group of Pacific children, they don't just immunise them and tell them to go away. They address everything. They sit down and they have a korero and they talk and they try and sort out. They bring kai and they do all those sorts of things. These are Māori and Pacific models of care and general practice just doesn't do that. There are efforts. Are we doing enough or is it coordinated enough, both at the grassroots but also nationally? Yeah, I think the coordination has been very difficult. There's some real systemic issues when it comes to that. And so uh, everyone is, so in, in Aotearoa, there's not one national IT system. There's, there's real issues in coordination, and that, those are systemic issues that need to be addressed, and I'm hoping that the change to Te Whata and Te Akifai Ora will address those things, saying, look, we just, yeah, this is really dumb. But I think you're right. I think there has been, particularly Te Akifai Ora, have, have, have specifically funded catch-up campaigns to address those 124,000 Māori who are in in the North Island who haven't got measles, and I know that they're doing that directly. And so the next step is, like, we've identified you. How can we make it easy for you to get that immunisation? Could we come to you? And then it's a really good idea, you know what I mean? So, so, so I think they are doing it. Whether they're doing enough, I think the ideal solution is to make sure that people don't miss the scheduled immunisations in the first place. Are they doing enough? Only time will tell. Um, are people going to give the, the correct amount of resources? Again, only time will tell. So hopefully, yes, I know they're taking it seriously, but whether it will be enough, only time will tell. That's why Tākere paediatrician Owen Sinclair. A Tairawhiti environmental group wants the UN to investigate the damaging effects of forestry slash on its rohe. Renee Raroa from Manatai Tairawhiti was among several Māori representatives at the 22nd UN Forum on Indigenous Issues in New York. The forum is a gathering point for the world's indigenous communities to discuss social and economic development, culture, the environment and human rights. Our reporter Ashley McCall spoke with her about the first week of the forum. What it really comes down to is that there's a need for something to be done about the issues we're facing in Tairawhiti. Our Tairawhiti asked me to go and carry the statement for them and when you're asked to uh, carry an important kaupapa um, such as this then yeah it's, it's I felt my responsibility to do so. Um, there's also I guess 
a feeling of personal responsibility just for the protection of our whenua and rivers and oceans. Um, so, yeah, it's a combination of the need, um, the ask and uh, being compelled to, to do that. So last year, the Māori forestry groups complained about removing exotics from the ETS because Māori would miss out financially. And they yep. said it's going against the tiriti. Yeah, so this one's really important because uh, what I am becoming increasingly aware of is the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Um, and it's actually the government's responsibility as a member state to rectify the problem that's being faced. Um, Māori landowners shouldn't be locked into lease agreements that see their lands used in a way that causes harm to those lands and communities. Um, that goes against uh, the United Nations agreement. Um, also, Māori landowners need to be given the opportunity to make land use decisions that are in alignment with their responsibilities as kaitiaki. And currently, they can't do that because the economic drivers, value of pine forestry, pine for carbon credits, um, and even farming over Indigenous forests and land use practices that are more in alignment um, isn't an option um, because of those economic drivers. So I'm suggesting that it's the government's responsibility to rectify that. Um, they have they have to make shifts that allow our um, our Maori foresters to make decisions that they want to make. And, and through a lot of conversations that I have, if there was an option to to earn the same amount of um, the protection and regeneration of native forests, then a lot of those um, ones who have asked to keep the pine in the ETS uh, would go with native forests because there's a lot more and they know the benefits are wide there's cultural benefits there's benefits to community if we can get all of those things um, lined up that means that they're not having to choose pine over natives that was manatai Tairafiti representative renee raroa You're listening to Te Waunui, a wrap of the week from our Māori news team here on RNZ National, called Jamie Tahana Tene. One of the main advocates behind a proposal to restore the original Māori name to the Bay of Islands town of Russell is confident it has the support needed. Submissions to restore the name Kororareka closed this week, and a result is due back later this year. Ashley McCall reports. Nestled on a tranquil bay in the winterless north lies the country's first capital, currently called Russell. But if the geographic board decides, its official name could revert back to Kororareka. The chair of the Kororareka Marae Society, Deb Rewiri, has held a series of public meetings about the proposal. She's confident the majority is in favour. Between say 80 and 93% were in favour. Some of them wanted to retain Russell, so have Kororarika slash Russell, but we said the um, you know New Zealand mapping board are not in favour of having dual names. Kororarika means sweet penguin, the Korora, little blue penguin, and Rika for sweet. 
It was renamed by settlers sometime in the 1840s after the leader of the British House of Commons, Lord John Russell, a man who never set foot here. Miss Lee Woody says a name change makes sense and will give the town more of an identity. A lot of people that had businesses under the name of Russell B&B businesses, we said that doesn't change, it doesn't matter what we're looking for. And someone rightly said, what we're looking at is that there are 29 towns within the world that are called Russell. There will only be one Kororareka. The Far North District Council supports the proposed change, but Deputy Mayor Kelly Stratford says there are some reservations, such as whether there will be funding to change signage around town. She says some residents are upset about a possible change, but Kororareka is already in common use. I think that there'll still be the use of Kororareka and the very prominent signage that's already in place and using of Kororareka. If it does go through, I think we'll see more signage and just that recognition will be something really exciting. The chair of the local marae, Deborah Ewiri, says she doesn't see any logic to keeping the name Russell. Even to the point where we said to people, please don't write, you hate the name Kororareka because it won't get any traction. Put some rationale behind your thinking. So I wanted people to think more deeply around why they didn't want the restoration of the name Kororareka. Land Information NZ says it's still counting how many submissions were received before they're presented to the Geographic Board, Naha in June, but says its decision-making isn't driven by a numbers game. It will consider reasons why people support or object to the proposal before it either makes a decision or refers it to the Minister. Either way, it says a final decision is likely this year. A group of Māori researchers are calling for constitutional change to help ensure a flourishing paiao. The working group, called Metu Auru, has dubbed it a call to action for the Crown, Tangata Whenua, Tangata Tiriti, and, well, everyone really. They say Aotearoa faces multiple interrelated crises, including climate change, biodiversity loss and social ills. They argue that to solve these problems, an entirely different approach is needed, one that incorporates a whole arsenal of thinking, including mātauranga and tikanga Māori. I spoke to three of the working group, Professor Maria Baj, Professor Carwin Jones and Ali Tapsell, at the launch of Metu Auru. Well, it's an action plan, and so it's calling people to action, including central government, local government, tangata tiriti and tangata whenua. Yeah, so one of the things that we were very much trying to do was to set out a vision for how we'd want Aotearoa to look, but um, particularly thinking about relationships with Te Taiao, and then think about what are the actions that need to take that forward to realise that vision. Yeah, and part of that was telling the story of how the environment has been governed previously and how we might want it to look in the future and what's already being done currently by iwi hapu, community, local government, central government on all different ways. They're already taking those steps to make a, make a better future for our te taio. Yeah, and, and a call to action. Um, I can't remember who it was, but someone else called it a manifesto as well. Um, how are current models failing both us and te taio, and, and why is this call to action needed? 
Well, from my perspective, our current systems don't value relationships properly and how to have meaningful, reciprocal, caring relationships. We don't value the people who do so much for us in so many different ways in society, but often that in the environmental space that comes through for Māori who are doing tikanga-based relational work with the environment and people, um, and that's not valued, but it's so important, and without it we wouldn't have any caring relationships to our environment. So that's my perspective. We also see Hapu and Iwi taking all sorts of leadership roles, being involved in you know, a range of solutions for environmental problems, whether it's um, you know, whāriki on the lakes in, in Te Arua to suppress pest species or planting um, along the riverbanks to you know, purify the waterways or you know, involved in pest control to try and bring back the bush and the birds in their areas. Um, but often that leadership gets... Um, locked out of our existing governance models and so Māori rights aren't well recognised and it's that that recognition of the amazing work that's going on that we think is desperately needed. Yeah so does the current system I guess compartmentalise we see a lot you know to tie out is not constitutional law or why is this needed? So part of Focusing in on on relationships and putting relationships at the centre of this work is to think about how we can bring the experience and the matauranga over built up over generations in relation to working with aspects of te taiao. Um, and so that that is a question about environmental governance, but it is also a question about how you bring that shared decision-making or Māori-led decision-making to the fore in a broader constitutional setting as well. You know, on that point on tikanga, matauranga, a concern that often comes up is around co-option. So how does this plan lay out, you know, a genuine sense of matauranga, tikanga that is not, you know, a crown concept of tikanga? We all have connections to the environment and they're all important, but what we're trying to highlight in our report is that Māori have one relationship to the environment that's important and that we need to value and that actually you don't have to value the environment in the same way that Māori do or relate in the same way and use tikanga in the same way but you have your strengths and your narratives and values and connections that you can bring to help support all of us because when we do that that's when we we work the best when we bring our own strengths rather than trying to take from other people or anything like that you know working together. The other aspect is is that we're thinking about climate change and we need all our tools, all of the tools in the in the basket. So whether that's Western science or Matauranga Māori, we need those things to come together and to be recognised and valued um, to solve some of these big big problems that we have. And we've also set out in the action plan that there are calls to action for kawanatanga, um, but for tangata whenua and tangata tiriti. So we've tried to think about how each of those groups can play their particular role, um, can make space for each other appropriately, um, and as Ali and Maria have talked about, to draw on all the experience in matauranga that we have um, to address these issues. Yeah, I've read a few like climate change environmental reports and stuff, and they're often quite despairing. This one's very optimistic. Why? Like, why have you chosen that approach? Not why is it optimistic? I mean, one of the reasons uh, was that we thought 
you know, people are inspired by the vision um, of where we want to get to. So a flourishing and abundant environment um, where we're all valued, tangata tiriti, tangata whenua, um, and are connected to the land. You know, that's something that we think people can be enthusiastic about and that that will motivate them to the action. And, and also demonstrating what is already happening gives people um, an opportunity to see what's possible and how to take that further forwards as well. Yeah, there's such an overwhelming bad news kind of <laughs> influx in the media and actually heaps of people are out there doing the do and we should celebrate them and, and keep doing it. Because yeah, what are the next steps for the working group? Is it a wrap-up or you got an next thing? Or? Mere tu Audu will continue. That's Ali Tapsil, Carwin Jones and Maria Baj. Their plan can be found on the Metu Auru website. Koi nā te nui i tēnei wiki. That's us for this week. You can find all our Māori news stories on our website, rnz.co.nz, under the Te Ao Māori section. But for now, thanks for joining us. Ko Jamie Tahana Tene, no horumai, te nakoto katoa.